right, hey everybody, welcome. Good to have our guests with us. If you're first time, if you're watching online, we always love to have you with us as well. Uh, what an awesome chapter. That was the entire 11th chapter of John's Gospel. What an incredible miracle. I mean, really the ultimate miracle of Jesus' entire ministry. Real, a preview of coming attractions because he himself is going to be raised from the dead not long after this. And uh, of course, it's coming attraction of what's going to happen to us as well. Not in the same way as Lazarus because he came out of the tomb in, in his mortal body that, which would die yet again. But we're going to experience the resurrection one day into new glorified transformed resurrection bodies fit for eternity. So I don't know where you stand with Jesus right now but I'm glad that you're here exploring because this is something we all have to face. When you have a loved one on their deathbed, how do you handle that? When you yourself may be facing death, what, do you, what kind of hope do you have? That's what this chapter is all about. Humans have always been concerned and confused about what happens after death. It's something that uh, has been a mystery for, for, since the beginning. And at Halloween time, we're especially interested in the dead and in what happens to, to those who die and w about coming back to life again. That's what all the great monster movies are about, right? Mummies. The Egyptians would uh, take their wealthy rich and turn them into mummies, right? Uh, they would take their brain and their organs and put them into jars and then they would prepare the body with all kinds of uh, salt and sawdust and oils and incense and wrap it in strips of resin dabbed linen so that the spirit would recognize the body when it came back and uh, could reanimate the body for the afterlife and they would typically put uh, wigs and beards and uh, all kinds of different uh, other like masks and other things to make it look more like a god than a human. The other monster is Frankenstein's monster, right? It's what? It's a, it's a corpse that's robbed from a graveyard and they take a brain from a lab and put it in that corpse and electrify it. Comes back to life again. Vampires are supposed to be humans who have been killed by a vampire, have their blood drained from them and turned into the undead, right? Kind of experiencing an, an Im immortality of sorts. Or werewolves, the same thing. And then you have the entire zombie genre. And ghosts are supposed to be the living who come back, or the, the dead who come back to haunt the living. Now, of course, we need to know as followers of Christ that we shouldn't have anything to do with contacting the dead. That's something God says. Stay away from all that occultic stuff. Have nothing to do with uh, Wicca and witchcraft and seances and psychics, uh, with fortune-telling tarot cards, Ouija boards, all that is off limits to us because you're not really dealing with dead humans. What you're doing is you're inviting demonic presence and oppression. The spirits of the dead have already crossed over. They cannot come back, but their bodies do remain. So today, to preserve those bodies for a funeral, they go through the whole process of embalming, of replacing bodily fluids with chemicals, of uh, may just if it's a short time, might just go through refrigeration and ice packs. Uh, don't mean to be morbid and all this, but, you know, this is what happens to our bodies. Unless you're wealthy. And then you've got another option. Just this past week in Smithsonian Magazine, here's the headline. 200 frozen heads and bodies await revival. 
Because at an Arizona cryonics facility, they are preserving bodies by freezing them. They're hoping to revive them and reanimate them at some time in the future when technology has cured diseases like cancer. So yes, resurrecting the dead, which is exactly what 18-year-old Mary Shelley warned us about 200 years ago when she wrote Frankenstein. Don't do that. Don't, in, in fact, there are about 100 pets who are preserved as well. So I'm not sure we want to see them come back to life. But you know, this is all science fiction because no cryonics facility has figured out how to bring back the dead to life again. Uh, The only ones excited about all this are the people running these facilities because they're getting rich off of it, right? They're making a lot of money off this, Uh, just like the Egyptians, right, who mummified the wealthy. This is for the wealthy. So this story in John 11 is about death, but it's really full of hope and encouragement. It focuses on a family who believes in Jesus and they're waiting for him to cure illness, right? Lazarus is ill and look, if you or someone you love is suffering, stricken with the disease, facing death, uh, how do you face it? Will the Lord show up to heal? Will he delay? Will he not show up at all? I mean, there are times when you just need Jesus to show up. When you've done all you can do, You need the Lord to show up, and that changes everything. So when it's reported to him that his good friend Lazarus is sick, Jesus could have just healed him on the spot right from where he was, right? He didn't have to go back to the Jerusalem area again because that was dangerous. Remember, they had just tried to stone him to death for blasphemy, for claiming to be God. So if you remember that message from last week, uh, you you see why he, he doesn't necessarily want to go back right away. If you don't remember that message from last week, you can watch it online or listen to the podcast. But he has, he has slipped away uh, about a day's journey out. He's, he's over at the Jordan River again. And it seems that soon after the messengers leave him, Lazarus must have died around that very time. And yet it also seems to be that Jesus wants them to report back. He's not going to die. He's going to live. Now, of course, he doesn't mean he's not going to actually die. It means he's not going to stay dead. So uh, Jesus intentionally delays for a time because he has a greater purpose in mind than just healing him. He's going to raise him from the dead. He's going to accomplish all this by, by bringing glory to God. He's going to give evidence, the ultimate evidence, that he really is who he claims to be. He is God. This is going to spur on and strengthen their faith. And it's going to set him up now for his own death and resurrection. So to go back to Jerusalem is going to be a death trap. It's going to cost him his life to go there because this is going to be the trigger that leads to his own death. But it's okay because after being divinely protected time after time, slipping away from all these different death threats and attacks, it's almost time for his own death. And he reassures them that, um, you know, that they're like, why do you want to risk going back to that region again? It's okay. This is the daytime. Like, this is, I'm the light of the world, and uh, I still have some time here left. But nighttime is coming. He mentions about 12 hours of daytime, 12 hours of nighttime, which, of course, really are just what the equinoxes, spring, and, um, and, and fall. That's like when you have equal number of daylight and dark hours. We're on the 
backside of that now, right? Where the nighttime is getting longer, the days are getting shorter. Of course, next week, don't forget time change. We get back an hour, fall back. That hour they stole from us in the spring. A little bit more daylight for us. But his disciples know uh, that uh, Lazarus has already died because Jesus is saying he's fallen asleep. Now, they don't get it at first. They think he means that literally, but Jesus is referring to his his body is sleeping. Some people think this is your soul sleeps when you die. No, your soul doesn't sleep at all. You are very much awake and aware. It's your body that goes to sleep for a time until the resurrection. So Jesus says, no, I mean, Lazarus has died. And I'm glad because that, this is going to do something to confirm and build your faith. And they're going to need that faith because in a few days, not more than a few weeks, but a very sh- short time, Jesus himself is going to die. And they need to be ready for his resurrection in three days. Now, his disciple Thomas, whose name means Didymus, which actually means twin. Did you know that Thomas was a twin? I mean, he's soon going to be known as Doubting Thomas, right? Because he will not believe in the resurrection until he sees it for himself. But at this point, he's very courageous, very admirable. Well, let's go ahead and go with Jesus into this death trap and we'll just die with him. And we need more who have an attitude like that. Let's just go with Jesus no matter what happens to us, no matter what it costs us, we're in. We're all in with Jesus. Many Christians around the world have to face that threat every day. They might get killed for Jesus any day and we gotta say, I'm ready to die. Are we? We better get ready for that because death, death is no longer to be feared because of Jesus. We know what lies beyond death. We don't have to be afraid of what's to come. He's already showed us and, and no matter how hopeless the situation seemed, no matter what disease or suffering, even death itself, we have hope. Now when he arrives four days later in Bethany, which is on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, so it's less than a couple miles from Jerusalem and from the temple, this is going to be his base. Bethany is where he's going to hang out during his final week of ministry. And he knows by going here, he's going to be walking right into a funeral full of sorrow. In fact, this past week I performed uh, a funeral for one of our longtime members here, Lois Sears, um, elderly lady who had been a Christian, I think, all her life. Uh, wonderful to see, you know, Christian family surrounding you, supporting you at a funeral, weeping with you. But what a difference it is when you do a funeral for a Christian, right? There's a huge difference because you, there's hope. You know, you're going to see him again. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who do not have hope. We grieve, but we don't grieve like the rest of the world because we know we're going to see them again. Now, grief never goes away, and that's why we just started a new grief share group in our church to help you deal with, with that grief. But we know it's only for a time that we're, we're not separated from the Lord at all. We're only separated from this world. For a, but there's going to be a reunion. And that helps us to face death a whole lot differently. Now at this point, you know, the sisters have got to be so confused, so disappointed. Why didn't Jesus show up when he could have? He could have healed him. And even if he had died, he, he could have maybe raised him again. Because we, we know he did that with a couple of other people. I don't know, you ever feel like the Lord has, is just sometimes too little, too late? You ever been in an emergency room and you're waiting around for a doctor to see you and you're like, what is going on? I, I, I can't keep waiting on this. This is something that cannot wait. I need some help right now. 
Now when he shows up, Martha goes out to meet him and says, Lord, we thought you loved us. What happened? If only you were, you were here, this wouldn't have happened. And how many times do we say that to the Lord? Or at least think it, if only, God, if only you had done this, if only you had helped me, if only you'd showed up. Why did this happen? Don't you care? And of course, the Lord doesn't always tell us why. He's got his own purposes. He's got his own timetable that are hidden from us. And still, she has faith. Even now, she believes that he could do something And Jesus promises there's going to be a resurrection. Of course, she thinks, of course, yeah, the general resurrection at the end of time. Not an individual resurrection for my brother right now. In fact, if you remember uh, in a a message a while back, I think Labor Day, we did Jesus' power over death. And we talked about how he raised the widow's son from the dead. Remember this young man was on a funeral bier being carried through the town and Jesus stops the funeral and raises him up. It was quick. Hadn't even been put in the tomb yet. And then another time, he raises a 12-year-old little girl from the dead. She's still at home on her deathbed. So again, another quick one. But Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. He's dead four days. It's too late. This isn't just another quick resurrection. He's beyond hope. He's gone. I don't know if you've ever been there where everything just seems completely hopeless. And you're helpless. Your family member is suffering from some uh, terminal sickness. And you're praying as if not only their life depended on it, but as if your life depended on it. And you're searching the internet for some you know, long shot cure. But there's nothing. And you're fearful. And you're, you're worried. And you need a miracle. You're crying out to God. You're questioning God. You're bargaining with God. And yet death still comes. And you're devastated. And you're experiencing not only the loss of your loved one, you're experiencing a little bit of loss of faith, some loss of love for God. Where were you? Why didn't you do anything? You could have prevented this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. By the way, there's another one of those I am statements. Remember where Jesus claims God's name, which is Yahweh. We think it's pronounced Yahweh. It it just means I am. Jesus is saying, I am God, because who else is the source of life and can raise the dead? Only God can do that. He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Love that. Death isn't death if you know the Lord. It's just a transfer from one realm to another realm. Do you believe this? And she, Martha, said to him, and she gives her own version of the great confession. Remember Peter said, you are the Christ of the Son of the living God? She says the same thing. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Martha then goes to tell her sister Mary about this and and that Jesus wants her. So they both go to Jesus with others following, curious, want to know what's going on. And again, Mary says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And the others are questioning this too. Why didn't you do something? We've heard how you, you healed that man who was blind from birth. Why didn't you do, heal this guy? Couldn't you have prevented all this misery? It just doesn't seem right. Lord, you did it for somebody else. Why won't you do it for us? You ever feel that way? Like, you, God, you healed that person. Why don't you heal this person? Why don't you heal me? It just doesn't seem fair. 
Mary doesn't seem to have the same faith as her sister. She doesn't express confidence, only disappointment. There's no hope. But still, even then, she turns to Jesus. And when Jesus early approached that widow whose son had died, he had compassion on her. And he said, don't cry. His heart breaks for her. And he sees what you're going through. He knows your pain. His heart goes out to you. But only Jesus can get away with saying, don't cry at a funeral. Because only he can undo the cause of sorrow, which is death. And he raises him up from the dead. He interrupts that funeral procession because Jesus is always going around messing up a good funeral, right? Uh, By raising him up. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. And he does. Then when he raises that little girl from the dead, it doesn't say anything about having compassion on them. or He just speaks to the corpse. Little girl, I say to you, get up. And she does. But this time when he sees Mary, he doesn't say, don't cry. He doesn't speak to the corpse. He, he just starts to cry with her. I mean, that is the shortest verse in English in all the Bible. Jesus wept, but it has a huge meaning because it shows that he enters into our suffering with us, that he understands what you're going through. His divinity is seen in his power to resurrect, but his humanity is seen in his compassion through crying with us. He knows exactly what you're feeling when nobody else does. He feels it deeply more deeply than we can imagine. And so when you feel like God doesn't care and he's not listening to your prayers, he sees and he cares. Sometimes there just are no words and you just, you just help people cry at a funeral. You know, Scripture calls us to weep with those who weep. And I have trouble with that because you may know I'm not a very emotional guy. I, I don't cry at funerals, not even my own families. That's just not how I deal with death. And the truth is it's okay not to cry, and it's okay to cry. We all process our grief differently. But I don't know if it's just old age or what, but I'm starting to cry. <laughs> not that long ago, a few years ago, great old guy in our church, Ron Whited, some of you may remember, died, and I'm doing my message, you know, like I normally do, and then just at some point, I just start crying, which not only shocked me, but everybody else, like, Brett's crying? Never seen that before. Then just last year, I had to do my own mother-in-law's funeral, and I was doing fine. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I get right to the end. (laughs) What is going on? It's okay. Um, It's a good cry because we know we're going to see him again. Jesus' response was far more than grief. It says that he groaned, that he shuddered. It wasn't a a loud wailing like you might hear at a funeral, but it was just a quiet, you just don't know what to say. And... I don't think he's really crying for Lazarus because he knows he's going to raise him up in a couple moments. He's, he's crying for the grief of all those around him, 
of the sisters. It wasn't supposed to be this way. This is not the way he made the world. Death is an intruder. It's an enemy. And Satan uses it, the fear of death, as a terrible weapon against us. So Lazarus is in a much better place. He's having a great time. No reason to cry for him at all. He's going to come back alive too. He's grieving for those who are under the curse of death. The ravages of sin in this world. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul talks about how we all are groaning under the fallen curse of this world because we're awaiting the redemption of our bodies. We have hope for a resurrection to release us from this realm into a glorious new realm. And while we wait, he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So sometimes your, your grief and your sorrow and your pain and your numbness can't be expressed in words. And that's okay. The Lord understands. He still hears your prayer. So they go to the tomb, which is probably cut into the side of the Mount of Olives there. And Jesus tells them to remove the stone. And Martha reminds them, oh Lord, there's going to be a terrible stench. Right? Because death, decomposing, produce a terrible stench, both physically and metaphorically. Death stinks because it wasn't supposed to be a part of this world. It wasn't his design. This world stinks, which is why we need all those essential aromatic oils and all the incense and the air fresheners, and the sprays, and the plug-ins, and the Febreze, and the potpourri, and the pooperies, and everything else, because it all stinks. Every time you smell something bad, it's a reminder of the dirtiness, and decay, and death of this world, which comes from sin. It's a stench. So what does Jesus do? He prays. Not that he needed to because he's God. And he could have just said the word and raised him up right then. But he's doing it for the benefit of others. Because he wants us to know that we have a God who listens. We can ask him things. We can, he, he hears us. And uh, this God wants to help us even though we don't always get what we ask for. So you don't have to just pray privately in your closet. Public prayers are important too because they boost our faith. Just don't make them showy. But it's good for us to pray together. And he, he wants people to see the evidence that he is God, that God hears his prayers specifically. I mean, you might have heard a while back... Um, church in California, Bethel Church. They, they're famous for great music and for a lot of weird, bizarre stuff. One of their worship leaders had a two-year-old daughter who stopped breathing and died. Well, this church gathered together, and while that corpse was on the coroner's table, they all gather and start praying and singing and clapping and shouting, come alive, come alive in Jesus' name. And they begin uh, hashtagging, victorious awakening. And everybody's believing this little girl is going to be raised up. And she wasn't. She stayed dead for a week. 
And so they finally held a memorial for her. Jesus told Martha, didn't I tell you, if you believe, you will see God's glory? That's true. But that was meant for Martha and Mary. It was a promise that he would raise Lazarus. He doesn't make that promise to all of us. We can't put our faith in a promise that doesn't exist. God does these miracles so that we will believe and he'll be glorified. Doesn't mean we shouldn't ask for miracles, absolutely. But whether we get them or not, God is glorified through us. And so probably Jesus isn't going to show up at your funeral and say, all right, open the casket, dig him up. But that's okay because he's already overcome death. He's defeated it through his resurrection. But in a voice that transcends dimensions, he says, Lazarus, come out. And he does. In fact, a long time ago, an old Puritan preacher said, if he hadn't said Lazarus's name, he might have emptied the whole cemetery. Right? <laughs> Think about it. I don't know, but wow. Uh, Lazarus somehow manages to walk out still bound up like a mummy. And so Jesus tells him to unwrap him. Messed up another good funeral. What does Lazarus say? Doesn't, we don't know. Does he say, oh, thank you. Thank you for bringing me back into this stinky world, this wicked world. This is awesome. I, I don't know because what a bummer to be called out of heaven. Oh, Lazarus, sorry, got to go back. He was having an awesome time there. But at least he got to go and be with Jesus again. We don't know what he said, but everybody was blown away. And that's why so many believed. I mean, how can you not believe after a miracle like that? But some go and report it to the Pharisees, to the chief priests, who call an emergency meeting of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. Jesus had done lots of miracles before, but this was over the line. We cannot tolerate this anymore. We got to kill him. And while we're at it, let's kill Lazarus too. Because he's walking around as exhibit A that Jesus is God. No more messing around. Because if we let this go on, uh, the Romans are going to come in and they're going to take away our, our temple and our nation. But really what they meant, they're going to take away our authority. People are going to start following Jesus instead of us. We got to get rid of them. Final straw. Murderous rage. I mean, Jesus had slipped away many times before, but not this time. We got we to get rid of them. And then God speaks through the high priest Caiaphas. Words that Caiaphas obviously never meant or understood, but he said it's better that one man die for the nation than the whole nation. Now, Caiaphas meant that in a physical, political way, but God meant it in a spiritual way, that Jesus would be the substitute for our sins, who would save the entire Jewish nation, and more than that, save the entire world, whoever puts their faith in him. So the official decision that day was that we're going to take out Jesus. He's got to die. The plot is in full force. It's not a question of if, but when. He, we've already got all the evidence we need. He's already claimed to be God. Now we just got to fight in the right time and the right place. Let's do it during Passover week. In fact, they might have thought, let's wait till after Passover week. But we know that they set in motion the plot conspiring with Judas Iscariot to take him out at night when nobody would see it because it was too dangerous for them to do it in front of everybody in the daytime. But for a little bit, 
Jesus is on the land. He's a fugitive. He withdraws about 15 miles away near the wilderness to be with his, final, with his disciples until the final week arrives. Passover's coming up. People are pouring into Jerusalem wondering, is Jesus going to show up? But the Pharisees have ordered, anybody who spots Jesus, you've got to turn him in because we're, we're going to arrest him. <laughs> he is the most wanted list. So with, with that cliffhanger, we conclude the first half of John's gospel. We conclude the series, Jesus, Believe Him or Not, and we're not going to pick back up until January, <laughs> all right? Uh, look, we've been saying all this time, belief is a matter of the will. Do you want to believe or not? If you want to, there's plenty of evidence. If you don't want to, then nothing will convince you. In fact, in a story in Luke 16, Jesus talks about a rich man dying. And the rich man is, is suffering and misery, and he wants to go back and warn his family. And Jesus says, look, he, in the words of Abraham, he says, even if you go back, even if a dead man returns, they're not going to believe. They've got all the evidence they already need. And sure enough, Lazarus literally is a dead man that comes back to life. And do they believe? No, they want to kill him. So if you don't want to believe, nothing's going to convince you. So we're going to take a break for November. We're going to start a new series called Better is Possible. And then in uh, December, we have our Christmas series. And then when we pick back up in January, John chapter 12 begins Jesus' final week. That'll take us all the way up to Easter. Our big idea is when you believe in Jesus, you will never die, but live. Now Lazarus came back, but then he died again later. So the good news is not there's some 2,000-year-old dude named Lazarus walking around. Oh, there he is. But that each one of us will come out of our tombs to live forever. One day, you're going to be the guest of honor at a funeral. What do you believe is going to happen to you? You want to live forever? Put your faith in Jesus. The worst thing that could happen is not that you die, but that you die without Jesus. I always said, I, it's hard enough to go through these things with Jesus. I don't know how anybody goes through it without Jesus, without hope, without confidence. I hope you know where you're going. Yeah, we hate to leave this world, leave behind those we love, but for a Christian, we don't need to fear death because we know we're going to live forever. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Until you do, you are dead in your sins. You are the walking dead without hope in this world, cut off from the source of life. But if you believe, if you repent of your sins, if you are buried in baptism in the watery tomb, you will rise out of that a new person. It's no longer, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. If you're ready to come to life today, then we offer you the opportunity to text your name in, email your name in. We'll get back to you right away. But better yet, come to the front when the music is playing in the next few minutes. I'll have some people up here that would love to spend some time helping you, answering your questions, helping you to make the best decision ever, getting you ready to be baptized right here on the spot today to rise with Christ. If you're already a Christian, then this is a time of a different response. You're going to share in communion. Because each week you come in and you get your cup, which has the juice and the bread that remind us of Jesus' death and resurrection. So you get that out and get ready for that right now because Jesus said as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him.
and we do it to proclaim his death until he comes again. Listen, you need Jesus, not just because you may die today, but because you've got to go on living tomorrow. So whether you die or Jesus comes back, we're going to experience life and resurrection and new spiritual bodies. He's either going to say to you, come out or come up. So let's pray about that together. Lord, because you live, we know we, we can face the future. You're the one who gives us reason to go on living. You, you give us hope. And we're so looking forward to the new world that's coming with resurrection bodies and no more sickness or weakness, no more death or tears or, or grief of separation. Lord, we're just in awe of your power and we can't imagine what's to come. Take away our fear of death. Help us to live full on for you that we're all in. And now, Lord, we, we, we pray that uh, you will help us to live the resurrection life. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So use this time to pray silently, take communion, or to come to the front.